Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Mark Coulter, one of the pastors at the Valley Church at our Troy campus. Glad you're with us today, and uh, we're really excited for this new series that we're kicking off today, a four-week series called Blueprint. And we're looking at God's blueprint for marriage, for parenting, and even for conflict in relationships. And so I would highly encourage you to invite some people to watch along with you. Maybe you are hosting a watch party today, but even in the subsequent weeks coming up, I really feel this is gonna hit home for everyone in some way. and could be one of those sermon series that changes one's life, one's marriage, one's how they, how they parent their children forever. So make a list who you're gonna invite. I, I am too, and we'd love to join a lot of people along with us on this journey. And so I'm guessing today as you're watching, there's a lot of different people watching. Some of you are married. Some of you want to get married. Some of you wish you were married. Some of you are divorced. Some of you are going through separation. Uh, Some of your marriages are going well. Some of them are, are really struggling. And so I truly believe that today God has something for each of us. No matter where we are in our relationship, no no matter where we are in our marriage, he has something that he wants to speak in and through us as we go through this. And so in the beginning, God had a dream. And in that dream, he created this world, he created plants and he created animals, birds and fish, and he created all this incredible stuff. And then he created a man. And that man, Adam, had everything he could imagine. He was in charge of everything. He was on the, in the nicest place in the world, the Garden of Eden. Uh, all kinds of things were under his control. It was just an incredible experience. He had all the food to eat and all the plants to, to look at, and, and it was just an incredible thing. But he realized, and God realized, that there was something lacking. There was something missing, even for Adam, in this perfect environment. And so the scripture tells us, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. If you want to join along on the app on your phone, uh, we have a link that will be sent to you if you're watching on Facebook that has our Bible app uh, with uh, scripture notes and all kinds of different links, connection card even. So I'd encourage you to click on that. Uh, But check out as we read this scripture. It'll be on the screen that you're watching on too. But it says this in verse 18. It says, it is not good for the man to be alone. You see, everything was good that God created, but there was one thing that was not good. And what was not good was that Adam did not have a companion. He was alone. Actually, that's kind of what marriage, one of the reasons we have marriage is because it's not good for people to be alone. So God created marriage as a way for people to be together. So God says, well, I need someone else with him. And so he actually says that in the second part of verse 18, he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God goes about the business of creating the first female, the first woman. Now the scripture actually doesn't really do it justice on how God created this lady. Uh, We see that in Genesis chapter 23, Adam says this, he says, now this is bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, I believe the Hebrew translators were kind of wimps here. This exclamation of woman, of how uh, Adam said this, was an outburst. 
It was an outburst of excitement. And I'm going to translate what he saw when this woman appeared in front of me. He said, yes. <laughs> Way to go, God. You got it right. Finally, I'll take her. And in the famous words of Fred Flintstone, yabba dabba do. He saw this lady and he, and he said, God, this is perfect. This is a perfect companion for me. Well, the story goes on actually and then tells us what God's dream is for marriage in the following verse. It says this, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Now, some of you might be surprised on what God's design is for marriage. Maybe you've heard that, well, God's purpose for marriage is to have children, or God's purpose for marriage is to be happy, or God's purpose for marriage is to find your soulmate. And that's not correct. God says, actually, and it's God's own words here, as he created, he said, the purpose of marriage is oneness that the two would become one. Actually, God's math is a little bit different than what you might have learned, kids, if you're watching what you're learning in school. God's math is that one plus one equals one. One plus one equals one. Now, another word for this oneness, and this word that I'm gonna say for some of you men who are listening might make you a little squeamish, that word for oneness is intimacy. God's dream for the marriage relationship is a oneness, a oneness so deep, an intimacy so deep that you can't even really tell that the two are two separate individuals. I heard it said this way before, and then I actually have a statistic about it. It said, uh, it said the following, all of us have a hunger, a desire for intimacy in our lives. God put that hunger there. But the latest studies say that only two out of 10 marriage Marriages, people who are married, two out of 10, 20%, say that they have oneness in their marriage, that they say they actually have intimacy in their marriage. The chapter, or the, the verse goes on to say in verse 25, it says this, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They were both naked and they felt what? You can say it out loud where you are. They felt no shame. Now, Naked literally, but also naked um, metaphorically speaking or symbolically. Yes, they were physically naked and had no shame, but they also, what the, the text actually, there's a deeper meaning to this nakedness the text talks about. They were vulnerable on the most intimate levels from, from emotionally, uh, from nothing was hidden, nothing was uncovered, everything was exposed emotionally, relationally, physically, and there was no shame. See, and I, I made this in my notes, that in the, in the security of the marriage commitment, they were free to share and care for each other's deepest struggles, fears, hopes, and dreams. For each other's deepest struggles, fears, hopes, and dreams. See, that's God's design for marriage. That oneness, that intimacy, that dream that he has that two people as, as Paul says in, in the New Testament, it's a mystery, but the two people will come together, two separate dreams, two separate personalities, two separate temperaments, two separate experiences, two separate sets of hurts and hangups and messes, and they come together naked with no shame, and they're vulnerable. And we're vulnerable to each other to the point where we accept one another, 
and we love one another for who we are. It doesn't mean we don't change. Of course we do. But that's what a true God's design for marriage looks like. Now, somewhere along the line, this dream died, right? I've done a lot of, officiated a lot of weddings over the years, and I'm convinced every couple that I've ever married had the same dream for their marriage that God did. They wanted intimacy. They wanted oneness. They wanted to be able to share each other's dreams with each other and each other's hurts and each other's hangups and each other's failures, but each other's triumphs. They wanted that. But at some point, things changed. I wrote it like this, said, for many, what started as an ideal, a dream, became an ordeal, and now they want a new deal. So the question I have for you today is, how are you doing, if you're married, how are you doing with that dream? And even if you're not married today or you're widowed, uh, and even if you're widowed and maybe not gonna get, don't wanna get remarried or whatever, you have kids and grandkids who are married, friends who are married, and you're gonna want this for them. How is your dream doing? I've learned this for my marriage. I've, I've learned this by just seeing other marriage. Most marriages, blowouts, most blowouts in a marriage happen or start with a slow leak. Very seldom does a marriage just like that implode. And even if it seems to be one big thing, there was probably a series of all kinds of other things leading up to that that led it to that. And so that leak is what we're gonna look at today. How do we go about, how do we walk through the process so we don't experience what I call marital decay? And so I put a five kind of things we need to look at. And if you're into alliteration, if you like that, you're gonna love today. I have five things. They all start with the word dis or the beginning dis, D-I-S. And so we're gonna take that journey today. And I encourage you as I'm doing that to evaluate yourself and maybe have those conversations with your spouse later today or sometime uh, this week about where are you in this relationship, in this marital relationship. The first one is this disappointment. See, disappointment comes about when we have unmet expectations. He's not the Prince Charming that he was when we dated. She's not always sweet. She looks different than when we got married. He doesn't have, keep his temper in line, right? These things change. And as they change, or as, as we, maybe the things we hid, especially while we're dating or maybe early on in a marriage, start coming to the surface, once they start seeing the real him and the real her, we have these unmet expectations. And that leads to dis disappointment, especially when there's a series of things that were unmet. Eventually, most of us have moments of disappointment. The problem is, is, is when we don't work through these disappointments, when we don't talk about these disappointments, when we let them just kind of bury, with, bury within us and we let them fester, and what can happen if we're not really careful, we move from disappointment into the next phase of discouragement. And in the phase of discouragement, that's that place where there's relational decay going on. Um, everyone kind of feels some level of dissatisfaction in the relationship. Um, typically what I see counseling or even in our, in our own marriage, if we hit this step, this discouragement, we tend to become more self-interest focused. Uh, we, we get kind of tired of our needs not being met. That's what our focus tends to be on, that he's not doing this for me and she's not doing this for me. Uh, and 
as we get to the end of this phase, if we don't deal with it, we start asking this question. I wonder if I made a mistake. I wonder if I made a mistake. If we don't stop the leak here, we move to the next one, which is distance. And you can easily slip from discouragement into distance. Typically, when you see distance, and this is how you can evaluate yourself if you're in this stage in your marriage right now, is men will tend to distance themselves by get, you know, get plugging in the sports or into the garage more or basement or whatever kind of their man cave is. Uh, they're gonna hang out with their buddies. They're gonna bury themselves in work. Women will tend to, to have a propensity to bury themselves more in the lives of their children and, and all their activities uh, with their girlfriends, their work too. Uh, and you start creating this emotional distance. You can be in the same house. You can even share the same bed but you're two people going opposite directions. I am not a math guru, but I do remember this from math, that two lines going in opposite directions will what? Never intersect. And if God's dream for marriage is what? It's oneness. If God's dream for marriage is oneness, two people going in different directions and becoming more distant will never lead to that. Now, if we're not careful, we can go into the fourth DIS, if you will, and that's what I, is disconnect. We become disconnected. And is that you today? That's, that's when emotional lines have been severed. Uh, that's when, honestly, most um, counselors would tell you this is when a lot of affairs happen because there, there's an emotional a gap not being met. There's a total disconnect going on. And if some guy comes into the picture who shows some interest in, in the lady and, and vice versa, if there's some female who comes and shows an interest, that's when uh, a, an affair can happen during this season of disconnect. Uh, you're very vulnerable uh, because you're looking. There's an emotional need. There's something deep within that's not being met. And I encourage you, if you're in this phase, if as I'm walking through this today, you're like, man, I, I think that's where I am. Not only should you have this conversation with your spouse, but you might want to seek some outside counsel. Because the last thing you want to do is to train wreck that dream that you have during a phase that could be avoided if you capture it and take care of it. And finally, on this slippery slope, on this slow leak that will lead to the massive blowout is discord. And I'm not talking about conflict. Uh, most marriages that I know, actually, I think all marriages have some level of conflict because you're two different people with two different personalities and two different opinions. And so that's a natural thing. And if, if handled healthy, conflict can be really worked through and be a growth vehicle. But that's not really what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about discord, where it's a constant battle, like, and it's almost a one-up where, you know, you're at, you're at war, if you will, with each other. There's a battle going on. Uh, you're not seeing anything good in him. You're not seeing anything good in her. Your conversations with your friends and your family members are only about their flaws. Uh, and you're almost just always ready to kind of spark that fire, if you will, when it comes to argument, when it comes to distance. Uh, there's a lot of focus on the negative side of your spouse. So when I ask you this question today, where are you? Where are you? Where are you in this continuum between having you know, some disconnect or some discord or some distance or, or disappointment? Where are you on that? Because here's what I know. And I don't know everyone watching, but here's what I know. 
Every single one of us is at somewhere on this continuum. We're somewhere from this end, which is God's dream. God's dream that you and I would have oneness in our marriage, that we would have intimacy like no other human relationship on this earth. And then on the other end of the continuum where there would be divorce and even leading emotional divorce, leading into a physical separation, physical divorce. So where are you on that? Because I think this, realizing God's dream, your dream for marriage begins with identifying where you are right now. It's that kind of gut level, honest check. And here's the, the sombering news, I guess, is this, that we're all at risk, right? If we're not careful, myself included, our marriage included, we can go down this slippery slope if we're not vigilant and if we're not very careful. I came across this illustration, which I thought was a fantastic one, a sad story, but yet a fantastic one for how marriages can work as far as developing cracks. Uh, It's from United Flight 232. This is a flight that crashed in Sioux City, Iowa in 1989. There were 111 people killed on that flight. About half of those who were on the flight were killed. And in the process of determining the cause, it was determined that the cause of the crash was an imperfection in the rotor blade, get this, the size of a grain of sand, a crack the size of a grain of sand. Apparently no one noticed this um, from when they made it and during the maintenance, this plane had been in operation for 15 years at this time and still had gone unnoticed. And said over time, that fracture in the rotor caused the pieces to act like shrapnel when the rotor fell apart during the flight. Those metal pieces flew into the engine, which in turn damaged two hydraulic lines, which in turn caused the pilots to be unable to maneuver the plane. The result of the plane was that the the plane hit the runway at about 22 knots and crashed pieces of the plane and bodies went, went kind of flying everywhere, all because of a fracture the size of a grain of sand. See, Marriages are fragile and very vulnerable things. Every marriage is vulnerable. My marriage is vulnerable, yours is, even if you've been married 50 years, there's a vulnerability. I think those who don't think there's any potential for a crack to develop in their marriage are probably living in what I would term a fantasy land. All right, you're kind of in that nice place that seems all in well, but when reality hits, it's kind of a, a hard landing. I've heard it said like this, a good metaphor is marriage is like changing the oil in your car. You can blow it off for a while, but eventually neglect the maintenance long enough and you'll burn the engine up. Moments before the pistons fry everything, it seems to be running like a charm. Now speaking as a pastor, not just to the Valley Church, but for those of you watching, maybe from all around the world, we've had so many of you joining in this last last month or so, I want you to know this. I want to fight for marriage. I believe in marriage like nothing else. It's an incredible thing. God created marriage. He said it was good. He actually said it was very good. He officiated the first wedding ceremony as we looked at earlier when he brought the two together and said now the two have become one. And it breaks my heart to see marriages fall apart. And even the ones that don't fall apart, it really, really bothers me when they're not all that God created them to be. Because what's God's dream for marriage? Oneness. In in the sense of being naked with no shame, as we unpacked earlier. 
Well, I thought it'd be kind of neat today. Today kicks off this series on marriage uh, to have an interview with some people who have been married for a little while. And so I have two very special ladies in my life who uh, I can't physically bring with me this morning because of social distancing and they actually live in another state. But they're gonna share today how their marriages worked for many, many, many decades because of putting God at the center, putting Christ at the center of their marriage and making him number one so they could have and experience true oneness. So let's check out this interview with my mom and my grandmother. Well, today I have some special guests with us uh, from central Pennsylvania. This is my mom and my grandmother, and I thought it'd be really fitting uh, as we kick off this series on marriage today to bring in some people with some marriage experience. So, Gra Grammy, how long were you and Grandpa married? 61 years. 61 years. That's a little bit of experience. A little. Mom, how long have you and Dad been married? Um, 43 years in August. All right. So we have combined about 104 years of marriage experience with us this morning. And Mom, what would you be your advice to people to maintain biblical oneness in their marriage? Um, attend church together, pray together, um, even uh, activities that you like that they use can do together. Um, just, you know, be a, be a true friend too, to your spouse. Uh, what did you learn is one of the key things to have a, a successful marriage that could last that long with grandpa? I never gave it a thought. I, just, I was married and when you were married, you were married for life. What just kept that, where'd that commitment come from? Just that in, internal commitment? Probably from growing up that marriage was for keeps. And uh, I think my mother used to say, when you're married, then you're, you're on your own. You and your husband you can't depend on other people. So that helps to draw you close together. And I know faith was really imp uh, important, not just important, but it was the foundation uh, of your individual lives and of your marriage. Um, without faith, without the faith in Christ in your marriage, what would it look like? Can you even envision that? No, I can't even think like that. Because we, everything we did was always Christ-centered. It was always the church. That was number one. And then our lives just went around that. I'm a pretty lucky person, aren't I? 104 years of marriage experience between the two of them. Uh, two marriages that showed me what marriage should look like. That things weren't always easy. There was up and downs. There were challenges. But Christ was the number one foundation. He was that rock beyond anything else that was the most important. And what a legacy they left and continue to leave for our family. I love what my grandmother said. Actually, it was one of my uh, points before I even interview, one of my points of application. When she said, well, for us, like divorce wasn't an option. Like you get married and you figure it out. You work through the hard times, you work through the difficulties, you work through the challenges. 
And now my grandmother is, is a very wise individual, but she actually didn't come up with that idea. That idea was brought up by Christ himself, okay? When he says this, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And so the first application point is this. I would encourage you to have stick to it resolve. Stick to it resolve in your marriage. Now, where do I get that from? How did I come up with that? Well, I actually read the verse and then looked at what the words meant. The word united, check out this one word, united, literally means in the Hebrew, in the original language, to stick together, to bond together, to be bonded together. In other words, to be glued to one another. Think of super glue or crazy glue, or for some of you guys, uh, duct tape, which is even stronger in your view, and maybe mine too. That's what he's saying here. In other words, when we become married, we leave our parents, we leave our past, we leave everything behind, and we stick to, we cling to, we are glued to this man or this woman, how long? For life, okay, for life. See, great marriages, I don't think, are built on compatibility or personality or similar interests or similar temperaments or even, even similar dreams. Great marriages are built on a stick to it resolve. We're gonna work through the issues. We're gonna work through the problems. We're gonna work through those times that we don't even feel like loving one another. When the other person's not very lovable. I can't believe that I would ever not be lovable, <laughs> but I think if you ask Jess, um, she would say that might happen more times than I would like to say. But you stick to it. Now I'm not talking about if there's abuse or some of those things, that's not what I'm talking about today. In those situations, I'm not saying you stick in there. Don't, I don't want you to hear that. What I'm talking about is the things we were talking about earlier, especially like when it's unmet expectations, you know, where, you know, all these things happen in just kind of a normal marital relationship where these cracks and crevices and all these things can develop. That's what I'm talking about, that we stick to it. We're gonna commit ourselves to our spouse no matter what. We are committed. Divorce isn't an option. It's not even something we bring up when we're angry with each other as a way to hold leverage or whatever. I know that can be really easy, especially if you've been going at it for a little bit. But we learn what it means to turn back to the dream. That's what stick to it resolve is. We turn back to the dream that God had intended for marriage. The second application is this. Get real with God in prayer. Get your knees dirty on the prayer floor, if you will. Ask God if there's anything in your heart. One, Psalm 139, is there anything, God, that's offensive in me? Is there anything that I need to ask for forgiveness from, from my spouse, from someone else, from you, God? Is there anything in my heart? Is there pride? Is there envy? Is there jealousy? Is there something? Is there anything in me that needs rid of? See, you, you, we need to let God speak to us. We need to get real because a lot of times there's things in our individual lives that we haven't dealt with that then we bring into this marriage relationship, even if you've been married for a while, and it takes away from oneness because you have things that you need to deal with. You need to see, get God's help on or maybe a, a, a good friend, some, a mentor or someone to disciple you so that we can truly experience that oneness or God's dream in marriage. The third and final is this. Get ready to work and change. 
The concept that marriage doesn't take work is lunacy. Love takes work. Even if you're a follower of Christ, love takes work because commitment takes work. And so, so often, I think in our culture, we just don't want to work hard on marriages. If it's, if it's too much work, if it's too much, then we just opt out. The problem is this, on, on the most fundamental level, marriage is a covenant. It's not a contractual thing. Marriage is actually, it's still the only covenant that our society still honors or looks at, for the most part, as a true covenant. And so we work at it, we stick at it, we stay with it, we work through things because it's a covenant. It's a covenant we made with this other person and most importantly, it's a covenant that we made with God. I love what Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 says. It says this, I pray, Paul speaking, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power, Jesus's power, Holy Spirit's power, for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. See, last week we talked about that. We talked about resurrection power, that because Jesus rose from the dead, we can see resurrection in our life. And how many of you today need to see a resurrection in your marriage? If you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in and through you, and through him, his power working in you, and then working in your marriage, you can get through anything that is in the way. I truly believe this. Every marriage is worth saving and every marriage can be saved. Every marriage is worth saving and every marriage can be saved. You might be listening today and you don't think your marriage is worth saving. You don't actually think it can be saved either for some of you. And I want you to know there's hope. There's hope in the person of Christ and there's hope that your marriage can be saved. I would encourage you, don't quit. Don't give up. Have stick to it resolve. Get help. Get a, get a couple who's been married a longer, a longer period of time, who's Jesus followers, who's put Christ at the center, who's walked through these things, who's worked through these things, who's grown together, who's experiencing closer and closer God's dream. Don't quit. Satan would, and he thrives on this, is to split families up. He's good at it, and he's doing it pretty well right? 50% or so marriages are ending in divorce and that statistic is not changing. A lot of you younger ones who are watching today, you're scared to get married. I would encourage you, don't be scared. It's God's design. It's not for everyone, but it's God's design for most people. And he wants it to be something special. He created it. He is for it. So don't quit if you're struggling today. If you're somewhere in that continuum, if you're nearing disconnect and discord and and you're thinking about leaving or just, you don't see how this could ever work out, don't quit. Stick with it. Get some help. We as a church, let us know. Shoot me an email. We can help. We can do Zoom things. We can still meet, if you will, during this period of time to help you walk through this journey. Picture what it would mean to the next generation if you stuck together. Just imagine it. If you stuck together, what would that mean for your children, your grandchildren? Think about the pain that would be spared. Think about the healing that could take place now that would affect future generations. Here's what I want you to do as we wrap up today. I have a challenge for you. 
I want you to lean into this. I want you to have some fun with it, but it's very serious too. I want you, if you're married, to take a picture this week of you and your spouse, or you can do this via a video. And I want you to post it on social media. And I want you to put one line that says just one, one sentence, one way you're gonna work this week or going forward to realize God's dream for oneness and intimacy in your marriage. One thing that maybe you individually or as a couple you've decided, and Justin and I are gonna do this too, that you're gonna do going forward, that you need to work on or you need to improve upon. And here's what I want you to do. When you take that picture of that video, I want you to check in at the Valley Troy and I want you to tag two other people to do this when you post it and challenge them to do this. Now here's why. I believe there's great power in people seeing that we're gonna fight for our marriages. We're gonna fight for this thing that God designed that he said is very good and he wants to see this thing united, this glued together. And as more people, more and more people share, and especially if you have friends that are watching or maybe who are scared of marriage or don't think marriage can work or skeptical about faith or Christ or whatever, it can be like wildfire, it can spread to share, we're gonna fight. We're gonna take this initiative to work on our marriage. We're gonna stick to it. And we're gonna continue to pursue each other as we both pursue Jesus. Would you take that challenge this week? I'd encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Father, we know that there's an assault on marriage. We know that the evil one, Satan, the devil, he does not wanna see people thrive in their marriage. He doesn't want to see oneness happen. He is a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a divider. And so, God, I pray all the power of heaven, all, all the power of the Holy Spirit to come into these marriages. Of those, those who are watching, those, those who are going to watch later, those who are going to watch it on YouTube later, or even months from now that watch it, that we would stand in the gap, that we would fight for marriage, that we would have stick to it resolve, that we would get our knees dirty in prayer and do business with you, and then we would work hard. We would fight and work hard and have hope for our marriage. God, I pray for everyone's marriages today, those who are gonna be married, those who maybe were married before and are looking to get married again. God, I pray your protection over them and I pray that they would follow after you with all their heart. And we pray that in the name of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.